This podcast is a proud member of the Paranormality Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to episode 19 of Stories of Strangeness. I'm Zoe and this is my co-host, Mike. Hello there. And today is a Mike episode, so we're going to get straight on down to it. And I believe this is kind of like a follow-on from your last episode in a kind of loosely based... Series. ...thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> it's episode two of three of the series of Interconnected Episodes... Do you want to refresh our memory to what the first one was? So the first one was the Philadelphia experiment. It was. Where Ooh, the they boat tried to make a boat invisible and accidentally sent it through hyperspace. Yes. So yeah. what's today going to be? Today is going to be the Montauk Project. And actually in this, there's also a callback to one of our earlier episodes as well. So listen out for that. Okay, go for it. On the western tip of Long Island, New York, sits Camp Hero State Park. Camp Hero includes an old sage radio tower and base, now long abandoned. In 1992, a book entitled The Montauk Project, colon, Experiments in Time, and that's a colon punctuation, not that not actual colon, colon was experimented in time. Okay, was published by Preston B. Nichols and Peter Moon. I have since learned that Peter Moon is not his real name, but that's beside the point. In the book... Nichols claims several incredible and chilling things. While working for a company called AIL, or Airborne Instruments Laboratory, referred to as BJM in the book, Preston obtained a grant to study mental telepathy, despite claiming to have been, quote, not extraordinarily interested in the paranormal at the time. Initially seeking to disprove telepathy, Preston was astounded to discover that it did exist. Preston soon discovered that telepathy operated similarly to radio waves. Preston studied the wavelengths and other properties. He discovered that although telepathy propagates like other electromagnetic waves, not all the properties of telepathic waves fit into normal wave functions. Collaborating with psychics in his spare time, Preston pressed on with the study, testing them and noting their responses and his findings. In 1974, he noted an odd phenomenon. Every day, at the same time, the psychic's minds would become jammed. It happened with all the psychics he worked with. Preston suspected interference from an electronic source and set about finding the source using his ham radio skills. Preston narrowed down the cause to a 410 to 420 megahertz cycle that seemed to block psychic abilities. After the signal disappeared, the psychics would be able to work again after 20 minutes or so. Preston put a modified TV antenna onto the roof of his car, grabbed a VHF receiver and drove around trying to find the source. It was coming from a red and white antenna on the then Air Force base. Preston made inquiries about the base but got nowhere. Continuing his psychic research, Preston eventually got a call from a friend in 1984 
saying that the base was now abandoned and he should go check it out. When he visited, there was still high voltage equipment laying about in what he describes as a radio engineer's delight. Debris was everywhere along with sheafs of papers. He says, quote, This is not the way the military normally leaves a base. Preston made some inquiries about buying some of the disused equipment and a deal was made. Visiting the base, he came across what appeared to be a homeless man who said he'd been living at the base since it was abandoned. The man claimed that everything had gone crazy during a big experiment the year prior and he'd been a part of it. The man claimed he'd been a technician and had deserted after a big beast appeared and had frightened everybody away. Then the man dropped a bombshell. The homeless man told Preston that they'd known each other during this time and that Preston was actually the man's boss on the project. Preston of course had no memory of this and so dismissed the man as a crackpot. When he got back to Brian, his assistant and psychic he'd been mostly dealing with, he asked him for a psychic reading. Brian's reading seemed to echo some of what the homeless man had told him and told of irregular weather patterns, mind control and a large beast. Preston then recounts the tale of someone barging into his lab and explaining many of the details of the Montauk project, the details of which matched those of both Brian's reading and the homeless man's rant. Preston had other experiences where people he didn't know seemed to recognise him and decided to investigate the project, interviewing locals about the base and the story. Six people mentioned it snowing in mid-August. Hurricane force winds appeared from nowhere. Other extreme weather happened with no warning. Sometimes animals came into the town en masse, occasionally crashing through windows. The police chief mentioned crimes happening in a two-hour period, then nothing for a while, and then another two-hour spree. Teenagers were also reported to suddenly congregate in large groups for two hours and then separate and go their own ways. Mind control seemed to be a common thread in the reading from several psychics he took to the base. In November of 1984, Preston met Duncan Cameron when Duncan suddenly arrived at the door to Preston's lab. Duncan was also a psychic and had joined the group Preston was working with. Preston took Duncan to Montauk Air Force Base and Duncan not only recognised it, he took Preston on a tour of the facility, explaining what each of the buildings had been used for during the project. He even knew where the bulletin board was in the mess hall. Duncan stopped suddenly when entering the transmitter building, went into some sort of trance and began to spew information until Preston shook him out of it. Back at the lab, Preston tried to unblock Duncan's memories, with the result that Duncan told Preston he'd been programmed to come to the lab, befriend Preston and then kill him and blow up the lab like a true Manchurian candidate. Duncan swore against those who'd programmed him and continued to work with Preston. Further memory manipulation revealed that Duncan and his brother had been part of the crew on the USS Eldridge during the Philadelphia experiment. Also, in another synchronicity, the first mention of the Montauk project was in Chicago at the US Psychotronics Association. The word psychotronics refers to the interface between electronics and the human mind, body and spirit and Ingo Swan is credited with coining the term. You may remember Ingo back from episode 5, Remote Viewing, where Ingo was the main psychic in the remote viewing experiments performed by Russell Targ. Preston underwent memory manipulation himself, 
and discovered that he had been living some sort of double life. His investigations included asking around subtly at AIL. Other odd things began to happen. He'd have weird gut reactions to areas of AIL, and he'd notice band-aids appearing on his hands that he couldn't remember applying, and the company nurse had no record of giving him the band-aids. He started to smell burnt transformers around the office. He got personal invitations to conferences and meetings he had no prior knowledge of, often referring to Project Moonbeam, which he knew nothing about. On a whim, Preston went down to the high security area in the basement at AIL. The guard posted took his normal work badge and handed him another one. He wandered in and discovered an office with a nameplate on the desk that read Preston B. Nichols, Assistant Project Director. Papers in the desk confirmed that he'd been living a double life without his knowledge. The next time he went to visit his other office, he was called into the project director's office and asked what he was doing there. To get to my other desk, he said. You don't have any other desk here, came the reply. Entering the room with the project director, Preston was galled to see it was empty. Someone had realised he'd visited the office during a normal state of mind and had taken precautions. After working with an antenna designed to bend time in 1990, Preston eventually regained all of his memories of his other life. A month later, he was laid off. According to Nichols, in the 1940s, the US government began a weather control project under the name Phoenix, helmed by Dr. Wilhelm Reich, an Austrian scientist. Reich proved that orgon, or life energy, existed. Reich was a controversial character who associated this orgone energy with Newton's idea of the ether and found that violent storms contained dead orgon, or DOR, and as such could be manipulated by electromagnetism, making it relatively simple to dissipate the storm, or create one. Project Rainbow, the codename for the Philadelphia experiment, had continued, with the study shifting focus into what had gone wrong with the crew on board the Eldridge. It was discovered that all humans are born with a time reference point, and this was essential for normal life. When the Eldridge had become untethered in time, it had messed with the time reference points of the crew. The Phoenix Project was tasked with figuring out how to bring humans into the electromagnetic bottle that surrounded the ship and removed it from the normal space-time and into a zero time, while keeping their reference points. The research showed that human consciousness could be affected by electromagnetism and it would be possible to change the way someone thinks by means of equipment. The Phoenix Project was disbanded by Congress, but the Brookhaven group that was in charge of it resurrected it rather aptly as Phoenix 2 and began looking around for places to continue the research. The military, of course, became interested in a technology that might allow them to flip a switch and have the entire enemy army surrender, and provided the base at Camp Hero for the experiments, which was perfect for sending out beams at 425 to 450 megahertz with its large SAGE radar tower. The project was allegedly funded by Nazi gold that was acquired by blowing up a French train tunnel in 1944 as the train carrying 10 billions worth of gold went through. By 1971, the Montauk project was underway with strict security around the base. Officially, the project was continuing the work of the Rainbow Project, the Philadelphia experiment of creating stealth technologies, including anti-radar coatings. 
Unofficially, it was developing mind control tech and even more sinister things. The experiments involved a chair, known as the Montauk chair, in a shielded room. The chair was built on technologies developed in the 1950s by ITT that could display what a person was thinking by picking up electromagnetic signals from the subject via sensors. At Montauk, a Cray-1 supercomputer would translate those thoughts into an understandable form. The book posits that this tech was aided by a race of aliens from the Sirius star system. Duncan Cameron, the psychic from the USS Eldridge, sat in the chair, which they then trained the tower on, blasting gigawatts of power at the room. They tried changing pulse widths, frequencies, and anything else they could think of, and observed the resulting changes in mood and feelings in the subject, which according to Preston, could affect the whole base and not just Duncan in the chair. The people working on the base were unknowingly part of the experiment too. Other experiments were performed to see what sort of range they could shape a person's thoughts at, and the local town, as well as Long Island, New Jersey and upstate New York were all targets at some point. They discovered that by frequency hopping, where the tower randomly shifts between five different frequencies, made the process even more psychoactive, and it also had another effect, that of bending time. After about four years of research, the project was able to beam thoughts and instructions into the minds of targets. They'd also managed to focus on cars and stop them dead by cutting all electrical functions. The next step was to take readings from the subject in the chair, and then transmit them out. The thinking was that if a psychic projected an alternative reality, it could help resolve the issues with the inbuilt human timecode and might enable crew members aboard a ship like the Eldridge to survive another Philadelphia with their minds intact. At this point, Al Bielik became involved. Al was involved in the original Philadelphia experiment and claimed to have been brainwashed to forget his involvement until watching the 1983 movie reawoke those memories, leading him to co-author The Philadelphia Experiment and Other UFO Conspiracies. Al was brought on due to his engineering background, his extensive esoteric knowledge, and his previous experiences on the Philadelphia experiment. Al helped interface the output of the Cray into an IBM 360 to drive the transmitter. After several years' work, they had a system with an upgraded chair that was immune to the signal from the transmitter, cutting out interference, and where the psychic, almost always Duncan Cameron, could project a thought form that was amplified by the Montauk chair tech and then transmitted out. Now, Duncan could concentrate on a solid object, and it would appear somewhere on the base, literally manifesting a thought form. Sometimes these objects would be insubstantial, visible but incorporeal. Other times the object would remain solid until the transmitter was powered off. Duncan could even visualise a building, and it would appear on the base. He was also able to psychically spy on people, using a lock of hair or other attuning object he could project into the person's mind and see what they were seeing, hearing and feeling, anywhere on the planet. This led to experiments involving psychic inception, planting a thought into the mind of someone that Duncan had met without their knowledge, allowing Duncan to effectively control them. Other experiments involved Duncan shattering a window in the nearby town of Montauk, making TV sets go haywire and telekinetically moving objects. Another unforeseen effect of the project was that Duncan could also bend time. A large octahedronal antenna, dubbed the Orion Delta T, was constructed underground. 
The Orion part came from another group of aliens from the Orion constellation who had helped with the design, for their own agenda. With more work and extensive training for Duncan, Duncan could now concentrate on a point in time and a stable portal would appear on the base that people could simply walk through from 1980 to, say, 1990. With this construction, they could replicate the Philadelphia experiment, but in a far more controlled way. The scientists used the natural biorhythms of the Earth which run in 20-year cycles as anchor points in 1943, 63 and 83. And then open-ended sub-vortices could be opened, allowing for free travel in time and space. At this point, the base was dissolved to only key personnel. Preston remained on as a technical operator. Missions began to explore time, and the project leaders began manipulating the past and future in various ways. Some experiments only involved testing air, or scouting terrain through the vortex without actually entering but other missions involved personnel entering the vortex and arriving in another time and or place. These missions would be recorded as TV and radio signals could pass through the tunnel, even allowing for live reporting. Sometimes people were lost forever in another time or in the vortex of hyperspace due to glitches which collapsed the tunnel back to their original time. In addition to their own personnel, the project utilised, quote, derelicts and winos who would not be missed if they went missing, but also the project used children. They used children to recruit other kids between 10 and 16, all boys, all blonde-haired and blue-eyed. Many of these were sent to 6037 AD, to a derelict city in ruins with no signs of life. In the middle of the city was a square with a statue of a gold horse on a pedestal. The recruits were asked to read the inscription and report back, presumably to map changes from the past and how they affected the future. In 1983, on August the 12th, the Montauk base managed to link in with the USS Eldridge which appeared in the portal, in part due to the link-in dates. The Philadelphia experiment happened on August the 12th, 1943. Around this time, Preston and several others became concerned about how all this might affect the world at large and had designed a failsafe, a way to crash the project with Duncan's help. When someone approached Duncan in the chair and whispered, the time is now, into his ear, Duncan manifested a large hairy creature from his subconscious that was hungry and angry. The creature, which was about nine feet tall, appeared on the base, ate everything it could find and smashed anything it couldn't eat. The transmitter was attempted to be turned off in an effort to dispel the creature by disconnecting the base's power but the lights stayed on and the monster continued to rampage. Preston tried cutting through wires that led to transformers. This time the lights went off on the base, except for in the transmitter building. They went into the building and yanked wires and destroyed equipment until the transmitter finally stopped and the creature finally faded away into the ether. At this point, the base was left with everything in disarray and personnel were brainwashed to forget their involvement. A team of Black Berets were sent in to recover equipment deemed too sensitive to be left, destroy any incriminating evidence and with orders to shoot anything that moved. Around six months later, a caravan of cement trucks filled the underground sections, including the elevator shaft. The gates were closed and the base was abandoned for good. 
All of this allegedly inspired the writers of Netflix's Stranger Things, which originally sold under the working title of Montauk, and was originally set at the western end of Long Island before the producers changed the setting to Hawkins, Indiana. In fact, the Stranger Things production was also subjected to a lawsuit by Charlie Kessler, who claims the show plagiarised his short film Montauk. Kessler claims to have shown Matt and Ross Duffer the ST Helmers the concept for the short at a party during the 2014 Tribeca Film Festival. Recent Tower Rotations The Sage Radar Tower was once a main station to a series of smaller manned towers in the ocean along the east coast. The towers were to give early warnings of Soviet missiles. Of course, the tower at Camp Hero has been disused for decades, hasn't it? A post by Dan Ratiner, dated October 27, 2009, although listed as 2011 on the website after the article was re-ran, mentions a call on a Tuesday night to police from a concerned citizen who lives in the Camp Hero housing development about a mile away from the tower to state that the dish had turned 90 degrees anti-clockwise overnight. Normally, the dish points to the northeast but it was pointing to the northwest in the morning. According to the man, Howard Edelstein, the dish had not moved since 1966 when it was decommissioned, but he'd observed it moving. An officer was dispatched to the scene and discovered that the man had been correct. It was pointing northwest. The officer couldn't remember if that was its normal direction, but another man, Max McLaughlin, confirmed that it had moved. Checking in with the New York State Park Commission, police were told that the tower had pointed northeast since the area had been made into a state park in 2002. The following Friday, three days later, the dish faced southeast, another anti-clockwise turn of 90 degrees or so. Again, the move appeared to have happened overnight. The Montauk Fire Department and a team of 15 experts from the New York Bridge and Flange Repair Company examined the tower on separate occasions but both teams came away satisfied that the dish was not loose in any way and posed no threat of falling off. The foreman from NYCBFRC was quoted as saying, it's as solid as a rock. Not only that, it was also inspected by army engineers via the Coast Guard Air Rescue Squadron for an entire day, who reported that the structure was frozen solid and it was impossible for anything inside to move and make the dish turn. Police set up a stakeout shortly after, thinking that local teenagers might be behind things, but despite a Saturday night vigil, followed by plainclothes officers posing as campers, hikers and fishermen, and others in homes in the nearby Camp Hero development holding a vigil from attics on Sunday, no one was spotted and the tower did not move either night. On Monday, the stakeout was disbanded due to budgetary reasons and a lack of any evidence. On Tuesday morning, the dish had rotated again, this time from the southeast to the southwest. Additional, Montauk's second monster. In July 2008, the carcass of a strange beaked hairless creature washed up on the shore of Montauk, about four miles from Camp Hero. It was found by three friends, and local papers speculated that it might have come from Plum Island, which houses the Animal Disease Centre and was the result of an experiment gone wrong. Experts stated that it was probably a badly decomposed raccoon.
Do you feel misunderstood? Afraid to talk to others out of fear you'll be thought of as weird? Does your mom get irritated with you for bringing up Jeffrey Dahmer at the dinner table? Are you looking for someone you can relate to? Well, we've got you covered. Hi, I'm Taylor. And I'm Sydney, host of the comedy podcast, This Is Gonna Sound Weird. A podcast that embraces topics such as true crime, the paranormal, or anything that would make your coworkers uncomfortable if you brought them up in the break room. Get where with us each Friday on Spotify and Apple Podcast. What do you think? First of all, look up the Montauk monster on an iPad. Oh my god. Oh my god. Do I, though? That's the question. Do I want to see this thing? Yeah. It's bizarre. Okay. Hold on. I've got so many pictures that... There's one basically lying on its side on on the beach. That one? Yeah. It looks like a really, really badly bred dog. With like they say, they think it was probably a decomposed raccoon. That does not look like a feckin' raccoon. It kind of does. It's got small head and a bigger body, and if you shaved a raccoon, I think it would come out something like that. The beak is weird, but it could just be that the teeth it had got broken out or something like that by the time. Although saying that, someone's... I think it's so difficult with photos because you don't know if they've been doctored or not, but like someone's pointed out there's a fly on the back of it. Yeah. So that makes it a lot smaller, because I look at that and think, fucking hell, it's the size of a horse. No, so that's why they're saying raccoon. Yeah, okay, okay. But still, it's quite, it has got that kind of hard, beaky yeah. bit. But then that could just be where the skin's peeled back, revealing the skull. Yeah, could be. But it looks like it's been baked. It's just been in the sea for a while. Okay, so I literally, throughout most of that, had my head in my hands. I don't know if you were watching me, because <laughs> I was just like, Hang on a minute. So we've got, am I who I think I am? Then we've got, oh, is this, this is like Quantum Leap, right. Stargate, Dark. Yeah. Um, obviously Stranger Things. Obviously. Many Steric Goats. And then obviously the Philadelphia Experiment, because they're both basically films based on those things. But Noodle Baker. Baker oh, Noodle. No, 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 it's not real. No, 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 can't, no, not having that. <laughs> so I actually left out a section where they also... Uh, used the portals to go to Mars and look around underneath one of the big pyramids on the surface of Mars in Cydonia. Because apparently they, according to the book anyway, the Mars was, there was manned missions to Mars from 1962 onwards. And they found these big pyramids, buildings, like artificially made buildings. And from what they can gather, they used the the time travel aspect of it to go back and see who had built these pyramids. And about 125,000 years ago, there was a race on Mars. Now, I don't know if they were human or what. It didn't go into that. But yeah, you've got aliens, you've got time travel, you've got weird technology, you've got thought manifestation, you've got portals... This is kind of when I wish we did have a camera because then you could just see that I'm not, it's not that I'm not speaking. I just don't know what to say. And my face is just like. Yeah, this is, this is complete. Up there with Skinwalker Ranch is one of the weirdest stories. This is way, way weirder. What's all this about? Mm. We're going to get all these Aryan children and send them back into the past to this horse statue. Well, apparently that was something, the reason they were all 
blonde-haired, blue-eyed Aryan children was because the Brookhaven, I can't remember if it was like the Brookhaven Institute or whatever, but apparently the, the company behind the project was the Nazi it was privately gold. Funded, was the Nazi gold. They were funded by the Nazi gold. But they also got funding from a company called Krupp, which I know as manufacturing coffee machines, but apparently was a huge weapons manufacturer, which is not beyond believable because which car company was it that used to make machine guns? I can't remember, but there's a car company somewhere. Well, you change with the times, don't you? Yeah, sure. Or you keep developing both products at once and maximise your profit margin. I Indeed. Don't know. But yeah, apparently they'd gone to Mars and because they couldn't find an opening on the outside, they just pulled into the tunnels underneath and had a look around. But it didn't go into sh- too much detail because apparently Preston wasn't part of that. Something else I've just read as well was saying that Al Bielik, who was part of the original Philadelphia experiment, right? again, was kind of mucked around with in terms of his timeline, brought mm-hmm. forward and given the name Albielic. His original name, now I can't remember his first name, but it was Duncan Cameron's brother. So Duncan Cameron, the main psychic who sat in the Montauk chair. Yes. Albielic is his brother, apparently, from 1943, but oh, brought God. forward. <laughs> yeah. My poor brain. I didn't know. This is like the one episode that I should have been writing notes and I thought, do you know what? I no, because I want to listen. And okay, so I'm going to kind of, I want to go all the way back to the very, very start. So first of all, you spoke about the, the little things they did with the, the psychics all kind of like short-circuiting at a certain yeah. time, which was really interesting. Yeah. But also with the, what was it, teenagers gathering in certain places um, and things happening, crime happening. Within um, like two hour periods and, and things. We've kind of touched on that kind of thing to a point, like with the whole infrasound thing, yeah. which we know can affect how people feel. And a lot of times when people think, oh, this place is haunted or it feels off, it's because of something like infrasound, like yeah. a vibration or something. And also, there's those places that use high pitched sounds that normal keep people can't hear away. to keep kids away. Yeah. yeah. Because actually I was talking to one of our friends who has a coming up for teenage son and she said there are certain places that he doesn't like to go. And right. she realised that actually maybe it's that. Yeah. Because he said it feels really funny. Yeah. And she realised, oh, actually, that's where they've been having some problems. So maybe they've put one of those. Right. Those, and she uh, can't hear it. So she just wanders through no, normally. We're, we're all uh, oldies now, so, yeah, yeah, you know. Sadly. Ears are falling off and stuff. But I know it is used, which is, is yeah, quite interesting. Is, yeah. So I'm wondering if, like, part of it was, was that kind of thing, because you, you've, got, you've got to start subtle, haven't you? Yeah. And, and see what, what effects it has. But, yeah, to make people commit crimes, Yeah. what does that do? Does it take away inhibitions? Well, it, it was just, more the idea that they could just beam commands and thoughts into people's heads yeah, see, that, straight that, from Duncan's. That, that was, wasn't that a little bit later well, on? Well, it was. Or? that was kind of like an intro to tell you what was coming yeah. up sort of thing. So that was so, how they achieved it. They beamed controlling thoughts into people's minds that but I people think just assumed were their own thoughts. Really scary for him, for people going, oh, yeah, well, well you, you were the manager or you, you were the director of this. Yeah. And he's like, what are you talking he's about? Like, I've, I've never, never been here. This. Yeah, this he's is, like, well, yeah, don't yeah. Know what you're on about. But surely, I mean... I suppose, actually thinking about it, I'm trying to figure out if you can account for all of your time. Because, I mean, I, I think I've got a pretty good memory and I can reaccount most days. I know what I'm doing most days. 
you know, we've had this conversation before, haven't we? Sure. Like, oh, if the police came along and said, where were what you were on you this doing? day? Yeah. I could do it if I was given a little bit of time just to kind of figure out stuff. You, on the other hand, you'd probably not get arrested and, and yeah, thrown. Yeah, it's one thrown. of my biggest fears, actually, is being framed for something I didn't do and not being able to prove I'm right because my memory's so terrible that I'd never know what I was doing. Yeah, but, you know, there's me. Yeah, I mean, basically, I'm either with you or I'm at work, usually. I mean, at the moment, it's just the former because I'm locked down. <laughs> so there is no work. I mean, at the moment, is, you know, we're not leaving the house, so whatever, home. you know. But yeah, I normally know where you are because even if you're not at work, you're like, oh, I'm going to pop to the pub with so-and-so or, yeah. you know. It's the well, same. I've got my phone on me at all times so you can track me in real time. This is it. I mean, I don't think it would be particularly difficult for us, but I, I don't know, no. someone who's that kind of... I would have thought at that time when he was not a f- official, if you were like, oh, I've got to get this done by this time. I just don't understand how people can lose time and not realise. Because I know that there's people who kind of wake up in places and go, shit, I don't know what I'm doing. How did I get here? Yeah. But that seems like he, they manipulated him so much that he was happy to just kind of, they must have literally gone, he's sitting at his desk writing this letter we'll stop him after that word we'll take over him get him off to do stuff get him sitting back at that desk and off he goes again so i've got i've got two theories about that i mean basically one bit said that when the project was disbanded and the the base was abandoned the key personnel were brainwashed to forget they'd ever been there but in terms of the dual thing yeah they're messing about with time so if he walks in he's got a time turner he's he's obviously got something about him or he has knowledge that he can you know code words or something like that that when like in winter soldier yeah that when he walks in he's from say 1983 preston nichols that knows all about the project and is the project assistant director but this was in 1981 oh my goodness so he was actually they'd sent him back (gasps) to do the work from the future oh that would work wouldn't it because then he'd be going i don't know who it's okay because so there's 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 and a couple of things about this. Send him back to this. the exact time because then he wouldn't actually lose time, would he? Yeah. So originally this was the only thing linking the Mon- Montauk project to anything was was Preston Nichols and, yeah. and Peter Moon's book. But obviously Al Bielik has been on records saying this has happened. This happened to me. Mm-hmm. I had to change my name. Blah blah blah. And he's sketchy on some of the details apparently, but. You know, it does mean that there's another person coming forward and saying, yeah, all yeah. of this is true. However, some people do class the book as science fiction because there's a bit near the beginning where Preston or Peter, whoever wrote it, says, whether this is true or not, you're going to get one hell of a story and mentions something about soft facts, which they say soft facts are basically facts that are facts, mm-hmm. but are very difficult to prove. And a lot of people would go, okay, well, that's an easy get-out clause. But, I mean, really, if you've got time and space travel, you've got all the get-out clauses you need. Yeah. Add that to, you know, brainception, being able to control people, see what they're doing, see what they're feeling, see what they're hearing, and implant thoughts into their heads that they think are their own, plus being able to go back and manipulate oh time. God. Yeah. This is a, a holeless plot, basically, because yeah. anything anybody says, they can just go, ah, but we uh, had this, but, but we time, had that, but time we had the other. Yeah. I can literally be in as many places at once as I want to be because well, the, I just zoom backwards and forwards. There was a point where the USS Eldridge appeared in the portal. Yeah, you said that. And apparently like, there were two Duncan Camerons, but they had to keep them apart to avoid paradoxes and problems. Because we all know what happens, don't we? Well, we think we do, but, you know, who knows? 
But yeah, that's that's one of the weirdest stories I've ever heard about. Honestly, it's like it's almost like there's so much I want to talk about. I'm speechless. I just don't know what I, <laughs> I just don't know what I've just listened to. Let's look at it how it has echoed and influenced some of the programs that I mentioned because obviously you had yeah. like Stargate you had yeah that's like space and it, no it wasn't time that though was it I think it might have been actually really yeah I, think I don't so. think I'm I, not it's sure it's been a long time since I I'm watched not, a bit of Stargate I'm not sure but I know they they had to go to other Stargates though it couldn't they couldn't yeah. just go anywhere could they they, no, they, they had to just beam like to particular on. places yeah but it almost looks like that's the kind of technology that could have been reached had they continued with the project. It's kind um, of almost a project that, that was reached. Yeah, I mean, and if then they could go to Mars. They could go anywhere. Apparently, they could go to anywhere in the universe. Exactly. But then you didn't have to know where you were going. It's that kind of being no, able to see because they could open a portal and not go through it, and nothing came through. So they could they could open a portal, test the air, look at the terrain, figure out what was going on, okay. and then go okay. through. Yeah, yeah. So they could do that. Yeah, which okay. again another get out clause, but mm-hmm. you know it. So also comparing it to Dark, which we're just Currently over halfway watching. through. Yeah. yeah, about halfway through. Although they go in, what was it, 33 years Yeah, they since? said 33 years in, in Dark, 20, which is 20. Yeah, and there, it's this. very much jumping backwards and forwards in increments. And you've got people, almost a sort of duality kind yeah. of going on. Well, you have you? at one point you've got a, you've got a young boy, boy and who the, is also a man in the same timeline. So that's very interesting. That it's kind of echoed very much in that. Stranger Things, a bit, but... Well, the idea of kind of children doing telekinetic experiments, yeah. being able to, like Eleven crushes a Coke can with her mind, doesn't she, and moves yeah. things, and that was kind of the and, kind and of the main monster, element. Or the monster, and the monster. And actually, yeah, kind bef- of. before the demigorgon kind of goes flower, and when it's more like a sort of a dog-like creature, yeah. it almost looked like the creature that was yeah, washed up. Yeah, although it- that was a, a separate incident that just happens to be at Mondalk, really. Oh, yeah. The is, monster, it? is it? Well, is the, it? the monster that apparently rampaged around the thing so i left a bit out but apparently some people said it was either about nine or ten feet tall and other people said it was about 30 feet tall so it kind of depended on who viewed it but in the book there is supposedly a photo of this monster now it is basically a silhouette because it's been reproduced and it wasn't a great photo to begin with or whatever but it's standing next to a bunker that's supposedly about 12 feet tall nine feet tall is plenty tall enough if yeah. it's a monster yeah well, 30 here, feet here's maybe another tie into one of our other episodes bigfoot this silhouette and i'll oh show you the God. photo later but it it looks like bigfoot so basically are we saying that you know we we said in skinwalker ranch didn't we that bigfoot was just on like random little holidays through portals yeah is bigfoot now get this all right is bigfoot us in the future Popping back for a visit. It could be me in the future. It's you now, love. Yeah. <laughs> Apart from the hair on its head, I mean, unless, wearing a hairy hat. It, maybe in the future they learn how to cure male pattern baldness, and I sign up for a pill or a jab <laughs> or whatever it is, and no, it just go, it goes completely wrong, and I end no, up as Bigfoot. <laughs> no, no. You see, what happens is they use you as the 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 thingy for the clones. <laughs> they make a clone army of Bigfoots. Bigfoots. Uh, big mics. <laughs> and they're coming back from the future to certain points. So like they were sending those blonde-haired, blue-eyed kids back yeah. to this particular place, the future are sending back these big hairy men. 
Yeah. I can't remember if I actually finished that bit, but I was saying that the, the Brookhaven people apparently Sorry, had yeah. ties to the tied to the neo Nazis. Yeah. But there's also apparently But why ties why that particular Russia, place? Because uh, they said it was it was an abandoned city with a square in it that had a yeah. horse statue and they had to yeah. go to it. Had to go to read it and read the inscription said. and report back. So then that just basically in began. In 6037. So apparently there was, and I'm trying to remember now because I've read so much stuff in the last few <laughs> days. There was one thing that said that there appeared to be no signs of life in this city, but it was possibly after some kind of great global catastrophe. And so it linked something else in like i think it was another book or something and in this other book they'd made these prophecies about things like global warming before it was ever a thing mm -hmm. and certain things they'd prophesized and apparently it was written by people who'd been jumping around in time because of the montauk project like their way of warning us they were like mm -hmm. harbingers almost kind of saying look unless we turn this around yeah and it's more than we can do just on our own you know we have to do it quite a lot of us, but otherwise we're all going to get nuked by the sun's rays or by nukes or something. Yeah. I don't know. But but it didn't actually say in the book why they were sent to the city to read this plaque. It, it kind of said, I, I mean, don't know, I wasn't involved in that part of the if, project. I didn't get to know. But you know my assumption was... There's something there and you know what it says. If you're sending someone back in time who doesn't know, it is if they come back and go, oh yeah, it said the rain in Spain falls mainly on the plane, you would know that They'd been there if that's what you know. Oh, said. that's interesting. Yeah, because if you send the kids away and then eventually they become adults due to fluffing around in time for too long, you need to know that that adult is really that kid. So you'd use that inscription to say, yeah, right, this is what, you know, this is our code message or yeah. something like that. That's an interesting idea. I just assumed that because they, they talked about time, the, the book gets really technical in places like way past my knowledge particularly about things like certain technological setups of coils and radio frequency equipment right. and all this like it delves quite deeply so i'm like somebody's done their homework here do you know what i mean yeah it, and if it confuses it, you it's not even worth could telling be, me because no, no. I, I don't re even remember <laughs> half of it but there were certain coil arrays that they had to use and then the looked at the way they'd set up the Montauk chair and it wasn't exactly how the original chair from the aliens had been. So they rejiggered it and yeah. did it again. And then that's when they found out they could manipulate time and stuff like that. But yeah, Tesla's also mentioned in here because Tesla apparently was involved in the Philadelphia experiment, according to this. Because also he was a big fan of the brown note, wasn't he? Yes, of yeah, course. So, I mean, and that, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's like, if he's played with that kind of thing, though... Well, he was, yeah, he was the master it. of electromagnetism, basically. Exactly. But what I was going to say also with the, the plaque, mm. I mean, obviously plaques are used to commemorate things. Yeah. And if you're playing around with time, if yeah. you want to like take note of the butterfly effect, if you yeah. know that you're sending, let's say you send back someone back to 3000 AD or 4000 AD to do something. Well, then you, forward to, but yeah, um, back to. Not back to that's true. Hold on. Oh no, I thought it was no, not BC. No. Oh, eight six thousand and thirty-seven AD. Shit. I've been looking at all of this going into the past. No, they went forward to this city Fucking in hell. the future, and there were no signs of life, and the city was in ruins, and it had this golden horse statue with a plaque underneath it. So I think it, what it was is they were going back and manipulating event, events both in the past and the future, and 
basically that was to the, check to see what actually happens. What, is, what yeah, done. if the inscription changes, then you've done something that's caused to, to big change. change. That. Yeah, yeah. So if it it's says like here your canary lies, in the mine, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's like here lies. If you if there's going to be a war and there's two sides, it's either oh well done we won or oh no we didn't. So it's like yeah, shit. Do you know? Do you then you know whether to actually permutations get, of stuff? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, do you get involved? Okay, they, yeah, they, sorry. My brain had taken this, this all the way back to blooming, like, you know, stupidly Egyptian. No. I was, I was thinking of Atlantis. I thought you were going to be like, oh, yes, I totally missed the no. the AD and just replaced it with BC. <laughs> but yeah, in the book he oh, talks God, now about... now my brain's even more baked. Well, hang on to it, because basically he talks about our universe revolves around a zero time point. And it was into that zero time that the USS Eldridge went, which is essentially hyperspace. Right. So it is space without time. Yeah. So kind of like how we were watching Fry and Leela when the world is paused yeah. kind of thing. Similar oh. to that in a way, but in a hyperspace. And Oh my um, God, they've so manipulated yeah. your brain because you were too close to the truth. Obviously, this tinfoil's wearing thin. So yeah, he talks about the universe rotating around a zero point time, but ours isn't the only universe. And they're kind of, he said, if you imagine like a merry-go-round, everything in the merry-go-round goes round and round, except the bloke in the booth in the middle. And yeah. if you imagine the booth in the middle has other merry-go-rounds stacked up. On top of it. Either end of it. Yeah. And they're all rotating around. That's how time kind of works in a way but it also propagates out as a wave. So there are ripples in time. And sometimes those ripples, like any wave, can cause like a little clash and yeah. those are glitches. And that's kind of when they lost people was when there were little glitches in the, the fabric of time as such. Sometimes they go through a portal and turn around to come back and the portal wasn't there anymore. Shit. And they were just lost because it was very difficult to find, even though you that could say, right, pinpoint. we sent them here. Yeah. If they had to go somewhere else to do something, it became very difficult to get back to them, apparently. Although it shouldn't be, I don't think, but it was. I don't know. It's like time is, if time's always moving, yeah. it's like if you like say, I'm going to meet you here at this point. Yeah. And Which then you version go, oh, of you goes back? Well, yeah, but it's it's kind of thing. It's like, oh, we, I'm going to go through. And when I get there, it's going to be um, 10 o'clock exactly. And they cut off points and they go, oh, no, oh, no, we've lost them. We'll go back to exactly 10 o'clock. But for that person there, time has carried on going forward. And by the time they've sorted it all out, it could be five past, 10 past. Is that person going to stand there and go, I'll wait for them to come back and get me? Or are they going to go, I don't realise that the portal's actually closed. I'm going to go about and do what I need to do. Yeah. And then come back and go, oh, shit, it's not here. And they've given up because they weren't there straight away or something. Yeah. I don't know. It's But if you've ever seen those photographs online that apparently purport to show time travellers, like there's a photograph, I think it's from, I think there's one from the Kennedy assassination and somebody is just dressed in really modern clothes, like not of kind of clothes of the time at all. Yeah. Like there's one, I don't know if it's this one, but there's another photo where there's a group of people and they're all kind of, kind of typical trilby shirt, tie, suit, suit yeah. you know, coat, raincoat, that kind of thing. And this guy looks like he's wearing something that you would go to Burning Man in. Oh, almost. God. Well, no, more kind of like a knitted jumper, but with those little round glasses that have the bit that come around the sides of the eyes as yeah. well. He's wearing those. Weird. Now, it could possibly have been a blind gentleman, but it, it just, he looks out of place. Yeah. And there's another photograph where there's a load of women walking along in like the 1920s or something like that. And one of them appears to be talking on a cell phone, 
which it probably isn't because God, that'd make you stand out, wouldn't it? On the mi- middle of a city street talking you say it's into a photo. your hand. Yeah. The thing is, though, if you're talking and you go to, like, as a woman, go to put your hair behind your hand and you get caught just like yeah, that. Yeah, could be. Yeah. Putting your hair behind your ear. Yeah, absolutely. You've got that kind of, and some people do that quite a lot. Yeah. Or some people do just kind of play or fiddle with an earring or whatever. It yeah. Can, it could look like your yeah, hand is. It could be a compact mirror or something that just had a black exterior. Oh, there's actually, you can see something in her hand. You can see something in her hand, yeah. Hairbrush? I don't know. You can't make out quite what it is, but it looks Mm. like a a smartphone. It's really weird. It's the future doing the whole kind of, you know, holidays to the past, isn't it? Yeah. But some of the scariest ideas are that they were saying that, like, you know, they could manipulate events in the past and the future, which is kind of the territory we're, we're in when we're watching Dark on Netflix. Yeah. But the ripples would kind of absorb the bigger impacts of it. And people like us now, somebody could go back in time now, change events, and we would never know. And of course we wouldn't. Because we'd just we'd always continue. Know what, yeah. Yeah. What has happened and that kind of What's thing. What's happened has happened. Yeah. And then also add on to that the idea that somebody could not only see through your eyes and hear through your ears and smell through your nose and feel through your fingers oh. and whatever else. <laughs> but also implant thoughts in there that you would never know had been implanted because you'd just think they were your own thoughts. I do have some really weird thoughts. Could they give you dreams as well? I don't know, maybe. I My can't see why weird. not. Yeah. That is, yeah. But yeah, the idea that that can go on is just kind of terrifying. It is terrifying, yeah. That was really interesting, love, and I'm probably going to have really weird nightmares if they send them into my brain. Hopefully they'll send nice dreams for yeah, me. Yeah, if anything, can we have nice dreams, please? Or can, can, I mean, sleeping would be good. One where, like, cake doesn't make you fat, it makes you slightly thinner and just gives you loads of energy and strength. And? And can I be Spider-Man? Can I get drunk on potatoes? <laughs> yes, it's called vodka. It is! <laughs> no, but I want to get drunk on chips. Can I eat chips and get drunk? No, but in your oh, dreams, maybe. fun and happy. Yeah. Imagine to be fair, that. I think I do get drunk on chips. They do make me happy. <laughs> maybe my my body makes it into vodka itself. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> You're just a giant still. <laughs> oh, that's weird. I had deja vu then. That is weird. I am quite still. Oh, no, that's really weird. <laughs> not now. Not now of all times so I have deja vu. This is, it basically says in the book that like deja vu could be a ripple in time effect. That uh, would make sense too. That's weird. Yeah. So thank you if you got through that, because that was a bit of a, a mind-bending, brain-melting yeah. piece of information right there. Noodle exploder. Indeed. So thank you. You're welcome. Have we had any new reviews or messages? We haven't had any new reviews. We did get one more comment from Electo on Podbean, who was the person who said that they liked us more than the last podcast on the left. I do remember that. I basically said that, you know, that was pretty high praise. And they said that I do truly love Last Podcast on the left, but you two have such a great sense of humour and you don't need to go for the gutter for a laugh, which is wonderful. So there we go. I mean, I do like the gutter. Well, you like lying in it. That's different. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's been so long, I can hardly remember. I know. (sighs) So no, no other new reviews. We'd love to get some. If you have two minutes and you're listening to this right now and you haven't reviewed us, that would be awesome. Review us on iTunes, please. You can leave us a rating. We have nine ratings now. Who wants to make it a big fat 10? Big fat 10. Yeah. So go and review us and leave a rating. We'd love that. That'd be awesome. Thank you so much. And 
Do you have some information about a treasure hunt that people might like to enter? I do. So our podcast network, the Paranormality Network, has an audio treasure hunt on the go at the moment. You have to listen to an episode of three different podcasts, the Prairie Land Paranormal Podcast, Xander and Stone, Science and the Supernatural, and The Matrix Has You. Listen out for three key words. They give you the episodes that they're in and report back and you could win a £75 Amazon gift voucher. Can I enter? No. <laughs> that's not fair no it's not but there we are and the other thing that the network is doing at the moment is they are doing an open call for people to rate their top three podcasts and it can be any three podcasts you like <coughs> we would love a vote if you've got the time please <laughs> and they're going to post the top 25 listings every month so have a look on our instagram which we will give to you in a moment and there will be details on there amazing so this episode's weird fact is that humans come from a type of creature known as deuterosomes. And deuterosomes form the anal opening first. So basically, at some point in the uterus, you were just an asshole. And some people never make it past that point. I was going to say, <laughs> some people just stay that way. Oh my goodness. Yeah. We're all just assholes. To begin with, where can they find us? They can find us everywhere. Everywhere. So if you want to contact us, uh, maybe send us a strange story that you know of or something that you'd be interested in us covering, you can email us. Storiesofstrangeness at gmail.com. If you want to do a little bit of uh, mild stalking, we're on Facebook. There's a group and a page. Facebook.com slash stories of strangeness. I'm going to leave it as that is. You know what I mean. Uh, and that is that is the page. And there is a join group button right there. Right there. We are also on Instagram. Instagram.com slash stories of strangeness. And that's where you need to go if you need information on the treasure hunt. Yes. We are also on youtube if you want to listen to us on youtube the first five episodes are up i can't give you a link because until we hit 100 subscribers they don't let you choose a vanity url and i think at the moment we are still on one subscriber <laughs> i'm not sure maybe wanna... it might be two now i don't know listening on youtube is a bit odd to be fair yeah, I have put together a few little vis visuals, but it is mostly kind of static images because, yeah, yeah, neither of us have a face for a, TV. I was going to say, we might do some random, really just simple faces, you know? I should just speak for myself there, really. I don't have a face for TV. You're lovely. You're also not wearing your glasses. So, yeah, YouTube, I'm not sure about that. But, yeah, if you just search for Stories, Stories of, of strangeness, strangeness, I think Black Shook comes up first and you can kind of find the rest from there. Yep. We are also on Twitter. At So Strange Pod. I have been tweeting a little bit more of late. Get uh, involved. <laughs> yeah, we also have a website where you can find all of the show notes and random information that we're giving you now. Yep. Again. Which is storiesofstrangeness.com. What else is on there? Oh, they can sign up for an email, can't they? Yes. We also have a gallery on the website where you can view all the images that we then go on to put on Redbubble. So yeah, Redbubble is also a place where you can go and buy our random pictures on random products hey. and they are great you just need to search for zoe and mike all one word and you can see all sorts of stuff on there some of it isn't even related to yeah podcast, we've put a few it? other bits and pieces up as well i need to do some more quotes i think to put on there so actually send us your favorite stories of strangeness quote either on instagram reply to us or dm us or on twitter or 
email Just or Facebook. Anyway, or, carry a pigeon. Yeah, throw a rock through our window. Don't do that. Otherwise, yeah, send us your favourite stories of strangeness quote so far. I'd be interested to see what comes through. Actually, I don't like pigeons, so don't send a carrier pigeon. Anyway, yeah, so that's Redbubble. That's one way to support us. Another way to support us is through Patreon, where we have two different tiers. The first tier is $1, I believe. I think it's now, I think it's now in, in pounds, so it's £1. Okay, £1, that's lovely. Which I is about like 74 pounds. cents, I believe. Yeah, and that is just a way to support us, help pay for our website Hosting stuff. stuff. All that technical stuff that I don't understand. Head Equipment. polish. He doesn't use the head polish I bought him, so don't. No. Don't believe him. It's just a thank you to help us keep ticking by. So the next tier is £3. And for that, you get access to outtakes, illustration time-lapse videos, minisodes. minisodes, and maybe other stuff in the future. Possibly this, this burp medley that we're yeah. thinking of working on because... During Honestly. recording, I don't understand what happens. Well, we drink Pepsi and beer beforehand and then expect not true. to burp, this which is, is silly. But there we and go. we are just full of air. Yeah. Hence why we do a podcast. <laughs> should we end it there? Should we, yeah, should we, should we call it a... Should we toddle off? Should we go back in time and start again? Yeah, that would be good, wouldn't it? Save me some time in editing as well. I could go forward and have the editing done. What if you don't do the editing? You'll go forward and it won't be done. Oh, bugger. You'll have to do it then instead. Time paradox. So that was the Montauk project. Thank you very much, Mike, for making me feel a bit ill. You're more than welcome. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, thank you for listening. Bye. Love you.